Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. Today we're discussing Stranger Things episode two. We're gonna take a deep dive into what the storytellers are telling us is true and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the episode. We focus primarily on spirituality, human nature, and relationships. And as always, this podcast will contain spoilers. If you haven't watched episode two of Stranger Things yet, you might want to do so prior to listening in. Before we get started, I also want to mention that we are doing our annual year-end fundraiser. We'd love for you to support the Reclamation Society. We are a nonprofit, and all donations are tax-deductible. Donations contribute to the production of our stories, these podcasts, and our blog posts. So visit www.reclamationsociety.org slash give to become a supporter. All right, I think that's it. Today, we will be discussing episode two, as I mentioned before, with my friend Isaac Johnson, another huge fan of comic books, movies, and sci-fi. Isaac is an actor and a musician. He has appeared on TV shows like Castle and CSI. He's a super talented guy. If you want to book his band for a gig, please visit www.jphuntenmusic.com. It's all one, jphuntenmusic.com. We also love hearing from you guys, and if there's something you'd like to contribute, shoot us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. With that, let's dive into episode two. Uh, Isaac, I mentioned you being an actor and a musician. Are there any similar roles that you've had to play as some of the things that you saw in Stranger Things? Have you had the opportunity to do something like that? Uh, No, not yet. That would be amazing. I mean, I've I've been a cop on TV, so there's that. I guess that would be about the closest thing to that, but there's like... There's like a cop on like a million shows, so. <laughs> you're, like, you're like the hopper of, of whatever show it was. Were you on Castle? Is that what you were on? Uh, yeah, Castle and then also CSI. Oh, awesome. Were you a cop um, in both of them? I was a cop on CSI Cyber and then on Castle I was like a, like an agent. Um, oh, okay, okay. So like someone in some official capacity. <laughs> you're being typecast as, a, as, as the, an official of the government. Yeah, which is like you know, there's um, it's it's really not a bad thing earlier in in your career, which is is where I'm at. Um, there's there was some advice that was given to me uh, pretty early by another actor was like you know most casting will only see you as two maybe three things when you're first out here because that's just their natural inclination is to kind of put you in some sort of box and really to not fight that because that can get you a job and then once you've gotten a job as one thing a few times. Yeah. You can get a job as other things because at this point they know that you can be trusted uh, on a set, on screen to kind of deliver what they're what they're looking for. So um, my representation is also smart, so they knew that and really kind of targeted a lot of that stuff. Um, whereas like last year, I probably like nine out of ten times went out for like a cop or somebody like that, and then this year it's all kinds of different things because I've you know I've basically sort of proven that I can you know that I can do it so it's uh it's actually not a bad thing <laughs> at yeah. all kind of typecast at least not at this point in time um or even if you were typecast later in life like you know it's like Matthew Modine in the show like he plays a lot of the same kind of like untrustworthy characters 
you know, if you think about him in like Dark Knight Rises or something like that. Oh yeah. Um, and so he gets a lot of work as that kind of person, but he's also working. So I'm sure he's not complaining about it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, at all. Yeah. That's, I actually heard some very similar advice, um, that was given to uh, a guy who wanted to be, he, he ultimately wanted to be a producer and executive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he basically said that he started out as a kind of story reviewer, um, and his, his whole point was you have to be awesome wherever you start at the ground level, so to speak. Um, when you're first getting into something, whatever it is, you need to be awesome at that so that you can just even make it to the next level. Yeah, so, definitely. That's cool. All right, so we're just going to d- jump into the questions. We're going to start by giving our subjective opinion. Um, Isaac, when it comes to this second episode of Stranger Things, sort of give me a scale of 1 to 10 on how you felt like this episode um, fit into the series. Um, I mean, this episode fits in really nicely. Um, I think it's kind of uh, a lot of good sort of expanding uh, the world. And, um, yeah, I I, I guess I'm kind of uh, probably pretty close to like an eight and a half or like a nine for this this episode. Yeah, that's about about exactly where I was. I think I gave the first episode a ten. Um, I think this one's equally good. It feels like nowadays with Netflix, especially when you can binge watch, mm-hmm. like the first couple episodes kind of have to be great to get you to keep being interested and keep going, you know? Right. But how about the, how about the um, scale of 1 to 10 for the entire series? Yeah, I was, you know, I was actually thinking about that today because, um, I mean, I'm kind of like... I'm somewhat like mixed on like where I land with this series. I mean, obviously I liked it a lot. Um, I think all the acting is really good. I think the storytelling is like, is very effective. Um, but I sort of struggle with how many references there are to other things or things that feel like they're, you know, very reminiscent, like, you know, like an ET or poltergeist or firestarter or, I don't know, Goonies, you know, like all of these things. I'm like, wow, it, it, it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's a rough line to me where I'm like, how much of this is homage and how much of this is, you know, just sort of straight from something else. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but um, <laughs> your question. Uh, I mean, I think, I, I, I think I'm probably in the same place for the series as a whole. Like it's like an eight and a half to me. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I think I said last time the series for me was I think it's a nine point seven five, and and I totally agree with you. I acknowledge all of the problems that it has. Like, yeah. um, it's it's very derivative. It it feels like a lot of different things. Um, that's what other people have said. That's what the complaints other people have had. It doesn't really reinvent the wheel, um, in any way, shape, or form. Like it could have had like for uh, girl friends, right? Young girl friends. Like right. that would have reinvented it. It could have been mm. um, more diverse, but like in, in a, or, or set in a different place, but it's sort of set in the same place we've always seen. It's uh, always little boys. It seems like, like you mentioned Goonies. So I definitely think that those are, um, those are uh, not preferable because we have, we've seen it before, but at the same time, I just feel like it was really well done. So, yeah, I don't even know if it's for me like specifically like I'd have like a like a problem with it. I guess I mean it's just more that the line to me is kind of blurry on like how much of it is is paying like respect to what's come before and stuff that you know 
other things that they like like that and how much of it feels like it's just like a straight borrow because like I don't I don't even personally need the series to to reinvent itself or to reinvent the wheel or anything like that I mean effective storytelling I think is is good enough for me um it's just there's some parts where I'm like wow that's from ET or that's from Poltergeist or whatever that is and um it's just kind of a blurry line but like does it work yeah like absolutely it works like are the characters good yeah they absolutely work and even like the fact that it's boys is you know maybe just still kind of paying respect it's just kind of at some point I'm like I don't know when they're paying respect and when they're borrowing which there's not a problem to borrow you know but at the same time like so I don't even know if it's like I don't even know if it's a complaint or if it's like a problem with the show (laughs) I mean obviously I watched it and I enjoyed it so like I guess it wasn't really a problem. If it was that big a problem, I would probably stop watching it, you know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, cool. Well, let's, let's dive into some of the deeper questions that the show kind of deals with. Um, the first one is, so this is the first time that the boys start to experience Eleven's powers. So we see her, she kind of uses, like, telekinesis. Um, and then later on, we'll see her showcase some psychic abilities as well. Mm-hmm. And Dustin refers to these as superpowers, um, which, you know, there's no reference made to whether these are like science-based powers in some way um, or if they're supernatural or spiritual in some way. Um, so the boys are just kind of responding to them as they're manifested without giving them kind of a term to be called other than superpowers. So mm-hmm. the first question I have for you is, do you think Eleven's powers are science based or are they spiritually based? Um, yeah, I think they're maybe a bit of both. Um, I mean, there's a lot of focus on what it seems like science and sort of research where the, the facility where she's held, um, which, you know, sort of reminds me of like some sort of like X-Men their experimentation or something like that. Um, so it's a good, it's a good question. I don't know if I, like settled on where I thought they came from. I mean, I certainly thought it was cool. I think like Dustin's reaction to it is, is pretty much mine. It's like, Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think like, uh, like Lucas's reaction is probably more realistic, right? <laughs> you know, to be kind of freaked out right. by it. Cause I think if, if we saw that in the real world, I think we'd be, you know, I, I've never seen any sort of like supernatural, like, occurrence like that I mean I, I've heard of people who have but yeah. I think it would it would be like a pretty freaked out reaction so like from someone who's seen like way too many movies and, and TV yeah I thought it was cool but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I agree with you it's, it's hard to tell whether whether there's sort of there's a scientific reason for them because like like for example the um, the TV show fringe if you watch that it was mm-hmm. everything was science. Right? Yeah. Everything was broken down into a scientific explanation for whatever was happening. Um, I like that they haven't answered that question yet, that it could be yeah. science, it could be spiritual. Um, Karina and I, on the, first episode, on the first episode's podcast, talked a lot about whether the upside-down world was like another dimension or was it like supposed to be representative of hell or was, it, was there some spiritual component to it? And... You know, ultimately, I think that the show doesn't really answer that question per se. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. But I, I kind of, am, I kind of hang out where you hang out, which is sort of like, who knows? But um, I hope that there's a little bit of a component of both, just because I think that it makes 
things more interesting. Because, I mean, in a strict definition of the word, science is just anything you can measure. So to the extent you can measure spiritual occurrences, it would become scientific. Um, exactly. So, I, you know, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But um, I think there's the second question I had here you started to dive into a little bit already, which is how would we react if we saw this power manifested? So, I mean, how, you mentioned a, you went into that a little bit. But, you know, what, how would we react if we saw these kind of things going on? Yeah, I mean... I- I think, yeah, because I, I think, like, there's, like, the representation of, like, the sort of fanboys, like, you know, kind of like us, like, watching it, mm-hmm. going, like, it'd be cool. Like, that's Dustin's reaction to it, right? And then, like I said, Lucas's reaction is probably closer to reality. I think as much as I personally think I want to see something like that, I, I don't know that I really do. Because <laughs> there's no... There's no way to explain it except for something, you know, really weird going on. I mean, I, you know, like for anyone who grew up like watching, you know, Star Wars, which, uh, you know, obviously myself and you included, yeah. you know, like how many times have you like reached for something and just kind of hoped that it would like force its way over <laughs> or something right. like that. So it's like, that'd be really cool. But if it ever actually worked, I'd, I'd be pretty freaked out. So that's why I think that like Lucas's reaction is... Uh, definitely one of trepidation rather than just like, Oh, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. I think I, I agree with you. I would react the same way Lucas does. Cause I tend to be a little bit more skeptical and I would be pretty fearful of it. I think I know that like, um, my wife would probably be a little bit more like, um, Dustin and, and yet I still know some people who would be a little bit more like Mike and they, and, and they would be a little bit more empathetic because he's kind of like, oh, that's cool. But he's really more concerned with Eleven than he is kind of um, with her power necessarily. Uh, so that's yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Um, so many world religions believe in some version of superpowers or supernatural powers in some way. Um, two, twofold question. Why do you think that is, and have you ever experienced anything that you would call supernatural? I don't know. I mean, I think that there are, um, I mean, there are certain, there are a lot of things in the world that are um, unexplained, and maybe the the presence of supernatural can kind of help us bridge the gap in terms of understanding those things. Um so I think maybe just specifically the belief in it is is a way to to make sense of something that that probably doesn't make sense to begin with, or at least doesn't make sense in like you know like the physical world in which we're like we generally know the rules of. Right. Um. So I think that's probably it. Whether like whether or not those things are actually real. Um. I mean, personally, I think some of them can be real. Um. But uh, what was the other question? Sorry. Yeah, so the other question, I think you mentioned this already. You answered this one already. But have you ever experienced anything that you would call supernatural? Um, I mean, the closest thing, I mean, and I guess it's it's kind of interesting, like, whether or no it, like, I mean, like, I personally believe in it being supernatural, but, like, I'm sure it could be explained in, like, science reasons, too. But, like, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a cousin who was in the hospital for, like, three weeks and, like, in, like induced into a coma because he was you know, just that sick and, you know, through like a lot of like, you know, faith, I think, you know, that he came out, you know, on the other side and, and you know, lived and, you know, he's still alive. So it's like, to me, I would attribute that to, to my, my faith personally. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm sure that, you know, someone else could explain it to be, you know, from, uh, the medicine or the ways that they tried to save his life and they did. Yeah. Um, yeah. but to me, it's probably a melding of, of the both. Um, sure. but that's mainly just because of probably from where I, my belief system, you know? Right. Right. I think you nailed it when you said that most, w- most world religions, uh, believe in superpowers because of things that are inherently seem unexplainable. Um, and I do think that as our culture, especially here in the States has become more sophisticated with science and we've had so many technological breakthroughs over the last, you know, hundred, 200 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that that's taken some of that, some of what was unexplained and has actually now explained it. Um, but I still think there's a place for, for like you're saying, I, I, I agree with you. Um, because I too have faith. And so when I see certain things, I go, Oh, well that's, I mean, it feels like it has to be supernatural to me. I don't know how else that would occur in a natural way. Therefore it's supernatural. It's extra natural. It doesn't appear to be something that happens in everyday life. Um, a couple of stories from me. Uh, so this, this last time my mom passed away from cancer in, uh, 2012 and I had this really strange experience because um, obviously that's a super upsetting thing. And yeah. I would, uh, I would, you know, I'd be driving in my car, going, coming back from work or something like that, and I'd be really like processing it and thinking about it. And uh, and oftentimes, because of my faith, the only place that I would find kind of solace during that time was when I would. Um, be able to just kind of reflect on the fact that I had hope for her as to what was going to happen um, if she were to pass away, which she did. But one of the things that happened to me that was really, um, really fascinating because I have not experienced a lot of things that I would call supernatural. So despite the fact that I have um, faith and I believe in the supernatural, uh, I just haven't experienced a lot of it. Like kind of like you're saying, it just hasn't happened, but I had this really strange experience where, um, I actually had a dream wherein my mom was, was basically in a, in a very heaven-like setting. Um, and I could see all these people and I could see, uh, different aspects of, um, who was there and, and I could even, um, see some of the beings that were there who were not, uh, who had not been human. So they're either angels or, um, or whatever. And, and what was so weird about it, this is what was weird. Cause normally I would just tell you, I would just say, look, that was a dream. Like you're just dreaming of what your perception of heaven would be. Right. Um, and therefore like, you know, therefore you just dream. Like, Cause I'm, I have to say that I'm very much a skeptic. So, yeah. so as yeah. soon as anyone else tells me like, Oh, I experienced this supernatural thing. My first response, even being someone that has a faith that uh, is of faith, I would say, I don't know, man. Like that sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Yeah. So, so this is what happened though. So I'm, I'm, I, I go back and I'm flipping through the Bible. I'm reading through the Bible and I didn't think that I had any particular reason to read through this, this passage. I was in uh, revelation, which by the way, if anybody starts to tackle revelation, talk about a confusing and very difficult to understand book. Yeah. Um, but I'm flipping through the book and I'm, I'm reading this passage and the description of what it was describing um, in this case, heaven to be like was almost verbatim what I had, what I had experienced in the dream that I had. 
Oh wow! Yeah, so it was just super trippy, and um, and so so I so being a person who's skeptical, I would still tell you that I am not claiming that that was some sort of vision or something like that. I'm not claiming that. I'm just saying that I can't explain it in any other ways. Um, <laughs> but it was meaningful to me. It actually was very comforting that I felt like. Uh, I, and, I, and I felt like that whether or not it was just a dream that I had or if it was actually a vision that I received, either way, what I, what, what I took from it was that I was comforted by it. And I felt like that was a, a, a comfort that I received from God at that point in time. So, yeah, that's who knows. That's really interesting because, like, I mean, on the one hand, it could be like, well, that was something that's there to specifically to come for you or like or was that? Uh, specifically like confirmation that that's exactly what it was, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and who, who knows, you know, yeah. who knows? I suppose but, like both like, you know, like could be satisfactory. It's just, wow. I mean, I do know like people, you know, like my mother, or, you know, like other relatives who've like experienced something very supernatural. Yeah. Um, and I'm in that same boat of like, you know, being like, you know, like a cynic and being like, well, I'm sure there's some way to explain it or yeah, right. <laughs> this is what you wanted to see or something like that. But like at the same time, like uh, being someone who has like faith in something a lot larger than myself, it seems like, well, shouldn't I be open to that? But, you know, yeah, nah. yeah exactly. I, I know. I mean, like, there's been other stuff that I've come across, too. Right. So like uh, one of my friends growing up and we were like really young teenagers or like maybe even preteen. And he was at a friend's house where they were having some kind of Bible study and someone was new to the Bible study and he, he witnessed, um, an exorcism and I have no idea what that's like, but all I can say is that I am glad that I was not with him because that sounds terrifying to me. Um, and I, and I really, uh, and really to this day, I have not asked him about it again because I was, I've just almost been too freaked out to even want to know. Um, (laughs) So that happened, and then um, one time when we moved into our when we first moved into our house, um, and this is maybe not supernatural so much. Well, I guess it's supernatural, but it's not necessarily spiritually based per se. But I know that my wife, um, my wife thought that she saw, and my wife's not inherently like a like a she doesn't even like watching ghost hunters, right? Like she's not even into that stuff. Like she's not yeah. that's not something. But she thought she saw she saw like a some sort of like weird shadow figure across the street when she looked out the window and she was, <laughs> and she was very freaked out by it to the point yeah. to which I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go around looking for it. Cause I don't want you to be so freaked out. And, and, you know, I could easily explain it away because there's a street back behind us that, you know, a car could have come around with its lights on cause this was at night and it could have cast a shadow that moved and she saw it out of the corner of her vision. So, I can easily explain some of these things away as not being supernatural, but I think the fact that like you're saying, like, you know, people, and I know people that they've experienced these things that are definitely not natural. Like, where Mm. do you go with that? I mean, um, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting topic at least. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, uh, move, move this conversation into, uh, there's this point in episode two, uh, I believe it's when he's out on the balcony where Sheriff Hopper says, um, you ever feel cursed? And so basically I wondered if, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, where does this thought process come from? Why do we believe in curses? Why would we feel cursed? And what prompts us to consider that as something that might be real? Um, yeah. Are you, are you asking for the character or for like us and 
Well, I would say, how does that translate to us? Like, I definitely think, well, for both, really. Like, why did, why does Hopper say it? But then why do we actually, why is that a thing even outside of the television show? Yeah. Um, well, I could probably answer Hopper first, but, because he's like, I mean, this is, um, you know, like, like the sheriff in, like, you know, all of these, like, 80s, you know, sort of movies and TV shows or whatever would be generally apathetic. Um, and this, to me, is about where he starts to kind of turn. Yeah. Um, this is kind of like the beginning of his, I mean, or his kind of ascent, you know, on his arc as far as a character. Um, I mean, certainly he's uh, he's lost a child, um, which, like, Joyce reminds him of when he... When he's there to ask her, like she's like, "Wouldn't you recognize the sound of your own daughter?" And that that beat kind of like hits him pretty hard because he's already lost her. Um, and then here's this situation that's sort of mirroring mirroring exactly what he's already experienced. Um, so I think in, in, for him, he's kind of looking at this situation as like, "Why am I going through this again?" Um, so to me, it seems like that's why he would bring up that idea. He also referenced to like. Which I don't know what these references were to, but he said something about December twenty third, and then uh, like the fall of sixty one or something to that effect. Right. Which I don't, I don't. I mean, in the rest of the series, I don't know if they specifically answer what those two experiences are, but it just seems like it's you know past experience that he's bringing up that makes him feel like he's sort of doomed to repeat this uh, specific you know cycle again with this kid and have to go through all these emotions again. Um, where you know, as a character, it seems like he doesn't want to go through any of them because he lives in this, you know, small town where um, probably not a lot happens, you know. Right. Like, I don't even, I didn't even know that he's, like, apathetic as a sheriff. I think he's just in a place where nothing happens, you know. Yeah. Uh, even the other, um, uh, even the other policemen with him are like, well, you must feel like a big city detective again or, or something. That's right. That. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like even there, like, you know, like, well, he must have come from somewhere where there was a lot more action, and now he's here where there's not a lot of action, um, which maybe after his daughter disappeared or, or you know, who knows what, where in the timeline that, that occurs. But um, anyway, so I think that, um, I guess, as far as uh, us, I mean, I think it's maybe there could be, like, a parallel there that when there are... Um, you know, like circumstances in our life that continue to repeat themselves. Um, I mean, because that's where you would talk about something being cursed. You wouldn't sort of talk to like, like I'm cursed to like, I don't know, keep winning the lottery or, you know, something like that. (laughs) Right. um, But, you know, when it's something negative that continues to happen in our life, maybe it's like we sort of, um, you know, have that sort of like, uh, like self-fulfilling prophecy or something that these bad things are going to keep happening to me um, as a way to explain how it could, you know, because I think most people believe that, you know, if you're a good person and you're good to other people, then good things happen to you, which is, I mean, obviously that's not the way that the world actually works, but, you know, for anyone operating in that mentality, I think that you know, you're thinking, well, why would these bad things keep happening to me? Like, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not out there trying to, you know, hatch evil for people, you know, every day. So, um, it's, it's like, I, probably similarly just like something so a way to explain why you know things happen to you especially if they're in succession you know like if you have three bad things or you know happen in a row you're probably just trying to cope would be my guess 
Yeah, that, that's an excellent analysis because I hadn't even thought of the um, the the Hopper question where you said he's having to relive the same thing that he has already dealt with. That's uh, that's fantastic. I didn't even really put two and two together. Like I knew he had lost his daughter, um, but I didn't actually equate losing his daughter with actually what's going on with will and him going through the same emotions that's um for whatever reason that that totally missed i skipped that so that was that was great um and i think you're totally right i mean i think uh you know in certain in certain religions um there are there's actually context for why something would be quote-unquote cursed they might call it some other word than cursed um but i think Hopper's sentiment is actually, like you described, it's sort of inherent in the human condition, which is to say, why do things keep going wrong? Why don't things keep improving? I think, um, I'm, I always think of, um, whether it's, you know, Plato's allegory of the cave or, you know, there's this, there's this thought, um, that I can't remember the other philosopher that came up with this, but it is this thought that there, the perfect version of something exists somewhere. You know, we can think of a perfect circle in our minds. We can we can determine what a perfect circle would look like, even though we are probably incapable of drawing a truly perfect circle. Um, and so it's this this idea that okay, well, we have an idea of what perfection looks like. We yeah. have an idea that we would be able to live forever and be youthful forever. And yet we don't. So we are subject to some sort of curse, it seems like. <laughs> um, and yeah. I think, you know, the different religions would explain that in different ways. But uh, I think it's very human to feel to feel cursed, especially like what you said, when it's something is repeatedly happening to you that's bad. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, what do you think about, like, um, gosh, there's the... the like about Hopper in general, like I kind of listened to the first uh, podcast, but like, do you feel like he's just generally apathetic or, you know, or is it just because of what happened to him kind of already? Oh man, that's a good question. I, I feel like when we meet Hopper, I feel like he is a pretty broken dude. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's waking up and <laughs> drinking beer, right? So he's he's not on he's not on vacation. <laughs> this is his every day. Well, if, if you were on vacation, that may be something you did. Like. Right. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Maybe this is maybe this is his vacation. Like to be yeah. a, to be a cop in a small town. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So he so he definitely is a is he's broken, and you can tell that because. He has his routine. He's definitely trying to get away from something, it seems like. Because, like, you mentioned the line where he said, you must feel like a big-town cop again or a big-town detective or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, I feel like when when life's beating you down quite a bit, you go, I just, I'm just looking for something simpler, and I'm just looking to kind of avoid going through the emotions again. And um, like your analysis said, I think that was really good. So I think, yeah, I think he, I think he's not necessarily apathetic so much as he is just wanting to escape it to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah, I kind of like picked up a lot of the same. Just like like you said, and I think that's a good word for it. It's just like he's broken and he's looking for like a simpler life and like what could be simpler than where they're at. But then here comes this like experience again that feels very familiar, which is 
I think, I mean, I know we're, we're talking about this episode, but why he becomes so invested in like Will's story. I mean, I think in a, in a sort of like cliche way, he probably just would have blew the mom off. I mean, cause he is trying to explain things like in real world terms, like, you know, with the phone, you know, like, well, maybe it was just this sort of power surge or, or something to that effect. And right. that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's like, you wouldn't be looking for, you know, a supernatural occurrence because those don't happen to most of us. Um, but at the same time, he's like very concerned about the kid, which, you know, in his story arc is why he starts to believe those things because he, he's, he's kind of run out of ways to explain it in the natural world. So he's got to start figuring something else out. Yeah, exactly. That's great. I love that. Um, all right. So let's move into this next section. Um, a little bit less about spirituality and a little bit more about human nature, though there is some spiritual components of this too. And that Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, in the show, there's a lot of time spent looking for will. Um, most of the town gets out to go hunting for him. Um, in fact, there was this uproar online and, and Karina and I talked about this in episode one a little bit, but there's this uproar because later in the series, there's not quite the same effort looking for Barb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, so here's the, here's the first question is that, and that's like, why do we value human life? So this is not necessarily about the show itself, but because we see this happening in the show, um, why is that the case? Why do we value human life? Um, I mean, I hope that it's just something in our, uh, like our base instinct, or at least to be able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, especially like a kid. I think that's like, that's probably why the show is using it because they would care more about it, like a younger boy, apparently than, than Barb. Um, even though she seems like a completely good person. Um, but I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, I mean, I guess if you think about like, um, people, um, uh, spend a lot of time, you know, caring for children, um, because they're seen as, as, you know, not as capable as an adult. So, uh, I mean, valuing human life, I would probably say it's just like a reflection of our own feelings of our own mortality, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and knowing how, uh, uh, I, I hope this is the right word, but finite that is like how limited that is. So, um, you know, like, like in this story, uh, you know, people going to look for, I mean, how do you know how old the boys are, by the way? I do not know how old they are. I feel like they were like 10 or 11, but I think it's yeah. an assumption. Yeah, no, that was my assumption too. I, I was trying to think about this all day, but I was like, maybe they're like nine or 10 or 11. They couldn't, you know, actually how I know they're not 12 is because, um, their reaction to L who almost disrobes in front of them. Oh yeah. Is like one of like gross. Yeah. You know? Right, right, right. Like, in, like if they were 12, they would probably want to see that, yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. So the fact that they're like, they're, I mean, it also tells you that these are good boys cause they're not like just looking to like see a naked girl or something like that. But right, right. Anyway, so they, they have to be that age. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in terms of the show, it's like, you know, someone who's of that sort of really young, impressionable age, I think they've, I mean, they value his life more than Barb's, I guess, which is really sad for that, that character. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. And so um, I have a follow-up question, which, so we see, we see that Lucas is very concerned about Will, in fact, yeah. I think he says at some point in time, like, why are we doing this? We should be out looking for Will. And he probably says it several times, actually. Um, yeah. 
but he's definitely not as concerned about eleven. In fact, like you mentioned, in, you mentioned, in, and I and I agree with you that he's he, he has more of a con, um, a fear of eleven to a certain degree. Um, and he, and and Dustin as well. Dustin's sort of like enthralled by her, but at the same time, he's a little bit fearful of her. So, I guess the question is, why would would they, and why do we? Because I think it's I think I think there's some truth to it. Why do we value the lives of friends and family more so than we would value any other life? I mean, especially in terms of friends, it's those are the people that we choose to you know let into our sort of like inner circle of, of life. Uh, like those are people that we've kind of like vetted uh, to be kind of, uh, you know, like trusted to be close. Um, so I think that um, like Luke is caring more for, for Will than, than Eleven is like Eleven somebody he doesn't know. So, and she arrived with blood on her clothes. So like something terrible probably happened, you know? Right. Like in his mind, he's trying to rationalize it, which is, is actually pretty smart. He's kind of like, uh, he's like, Lucas is like almost like an audience representation, you know, um, like the things that we would be concerned about. He's kind of concerned about. Right. In terms of 11. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Well, and it's funny, like Dustin would be like, I think Dustin would do whatever someone told him to do. Right. <laughs> he's just sort of like loyal to like a fault. Um, I mean, he thinks a lot of it's cool, but he would, you know, whatever Mike said, he'd probably do. Right. Um, whereas Lucas is, you know, way more concerned about, like, the actual danger, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, for us as people, I think it's it's just, um, you know, natural to think about the, the people that are closest to us first. But it's actually cool that, that Mike is is not that guy. Um, it balances out their like friend circle right that he's the he's like um, he's probably like the closest like thing to like a Luke Skywalker kind of like protagonist or something like that because he's just sincere and genuine and he trusts everyone um, like probably naively so but he's so looking to like you know essentially go and save the princess that right. he'll you know he'll risk his life to do that which is you know, very, um, you know, very cool. And like I said, it's kind of like Luke Skywalker, but, um, so I think that like Mike's response to being the one, like, like there's always a friend of yours that's more concerned with the outside world than like your inner circle of friends. And I think like the balance of, of both is probably important. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, one thing you said that I hadn't thought of, but is a, um, is a fantastic point is that will, or sorry, Mike is, what the audience wants to uh, be. Uh, I don't know exactly. You, you use really yeah, articulate yeah. words to describe it, but you're, you're absolutely right. Like, like uh, he is how, how we want 11 treated is how Mike treats 11. Like yes. that's, that's a perfect yeah. example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're also right. I think, um, you know, when we develop intimacy with people, uh, I think that what happens when we develop intimacy is, part of us uh, gets ripped out when we see harm done to them. Like it, it hurts us more than it hurts people that we're not as well associated with. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that's a, it's an interesting thing that kind of happens. In fact, uh, I wanted to draw, 
a correlation because this is a big deal right now, obviously in, in the real world. Um, and I just, I just think it's an interesting social commentary that because of this topic that we've been talking about, which is, um, as the, as the show showcases, we inherently, because of our intimate relationships with certain people tend to, um, value their lives above other lives. And I don't think it's like a value judgment. It's not like a, it's not like a, well, inherently my friends are more valuable than their friends. It's just that they're more valuable to me. Um, but at the same time, what we see is this, uh, this example in, uh, the modern day where there is a group of people who start the black lives matter campaign to draw awareness to the fact that there is police brutality that is worse in comparison, uh, worse against African-Americans in comparison to um, other ethnicities, particularly Caucasian or white people. Mm-hmm. And then in response to that, there was like this backlash where people started to say, you know, no, 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 all lives matter. Right. And so I, w- I would just ask you, like, what, what prompts these movements and then what prompts their counter movements? Like, why do we see these things happen? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Like the, I mean, what prompts the movement? Uh, I mean, this specific movement is just seeing something that you feel is not right, you know, and, and like a clear, um, you know, bias, you know, for those, uh, being affected and, and for those not being affected, it just, you know, um, I think, a movement like that is is just based on sort of recognizing um i mean i guess for for you know for someone who's not black to recognize that like that uh you know that there's a bias in terms of uh or that there can be a bias in terms of uh you know treatment by by authority um but for those that are feeling mistreated um wanting to kind of raise their voice about about that mistreatment is seems pretty natural i mean i think most people are sort of upset by injustice um and so i think that you know wanting to do something about it so hopefully it seems really natural um in terms of like a counter movement i guess it's um yeah that's a it's a good question because i think um I think there are, you know, in some ways, two schools of people that will, you know, always want to be, uh, gosh, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, want to be included in some way. Mm. Um, and so, uh, actually, no, so here's a better way to say it, but sometimes, like, if you say, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of a great analogy, but, like, sometimes, like, saying that one thing is important some people see as saying that everything other than this other thing is important um you know like if you say like blue pens are cool like it's to some people that means all other pens that aren't blue are not cool right um i guess you know to simplify it but um i don't know that there's anything specifically wrong with one way of thinking or the other Mm -hmm. but hopefully you know, in any case, you can see something from someone else's viewpoint. And I think the, like, this specific movement is kind of hopefully, you know, kind of trying to have, allow people to see something from someone else's viewpoint, not the viewpoint that you've, you know, only had to experience because it's your viewpoint. Right. Um, if you experience something on a personal matter, it may be more important to you rather than something like 
that maybe you've never had to think about because it just is not part of your your reality. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think I think you're right. On, you're right on the money in terms of. Um, I think that particularly when it comes to like this particular movement, like with Black Lives Matter, like movements are started when we see uh, injustice that needs restoration, right? So, so if I'm if I'm speaking from a spiritual context, I would say, um, you know, the world is a broken place, and therefore we start to see brokenness occur um, in various different avenues. And when we see that happen and when the brokenness starts to become really inequitable, especially, then we want to, we want to be able to stand up and say, look, do you guys realize that this is happening right here? Like injustice is happening and we must stand up against that. So that seems pretty natural to me. I think the thing that I have, I take a little bit issue with is that, um, like when people started the, and this is getting super political. I'm sure I'm going to piss a bunch of people off and like, whatever, it's fine. If you disagree with me, it's fine. But um, when people started the all lives matter sort of movement, I get the impression that those people were sort of thinking that they were like truth tellers, right? Where it's like, no, we shouldn't value some lives more than other, other lives. And I think that the problem is, and you sort of, you sort of alluded to this, is that if we don't have empathy towards the first group who's calling out the injustice, all we do by saying something like all lives matter in a real world example, all we do by saying all lives matter is we basically say your concern about that injustice is invalid because, uh, because my life isn't as good as you think it is either or something along those lines. And basically all that serves to say is just deal with it and stop complaining. It is what it, it was. What it speaks to me, at least, for someone to have a counter movement saying all lives matter. So, for me personally, um, I think we have to be really careful when we. Uh, and I think this is true of like the character of Lucas when it comes to Eleven. Like we have to be really careful of saying like, yeah, no, no, no Will's life does matter, and that's awesome. Um, but let's face it, like there's injustice being done over here as well. Like we need to we need to pay attention to where injustice is being uh, is is happening. And so when when people call that out and say Black Lives Matter, we should say yes, they do. Let's go find out how to combat that injustice. Um, and we should not try and say no, no, no. Wait a minute, all lives matter. Uh, that may be that may be true, but it's irrelevant to the problem that we are trying to solve. Yeah. Totally. Um, no, I, I agree. I really can't say much better than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I won't. But uh, I think that like uh, one of the the really good things about what you're saying is that I think that it's um, sometimes like a message like that is received better by someone advocating for like like you as somebody who's not black advocating for for someone who's not like you. Like that message is a little stronger versus for someone like me who is black. It's, it can be sort of seen as like a biased opinion or something like that. Right. Right. Um, but really being able to, um, to say, you know, to say that and for it to matter to someone who doesn't have context, hopefully they just get the context and that the, the person giving them the context is not biased. And like for like this story, I mean, eventually Lucas cares, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, yep. but he only cares once he's given more context for what is actually happening in Eleven's life. Exactly. So he's, he's not actually considered that. Um, and he only knows Will. 
So his context for his relationship with Will causes him to care more, which is not wrong for him to want to do that, you know, or, you know, if there's any parallel in the real world for anyone to want to do that because of what they know. Um, so I think, you know, the cool thing about this story is just that, like, you know, again, like all of these characters have arcs, which is why I, I like the show, because all the characters go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but that once he gets more context for who she is and how she can be trusted, um, you know, he, he begins to care. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. Yeah, I love that example. Um, and you're right. All the characters have arcs and they all change, which is really cool. And I think that's one of the things that I'm that why the reasons I, I gravitate so much toward it, despite the fact that it's derivative, um, is that. Uh, it's just really well done um, from a plot perspective and from a character yeah. perspective. And a lot of times those two things are really difficult to kind of balance. Yeah, they're extremely difficult to balance and like very easy to like get wrong. Um, like that's why like not everything is as good as the show, which is kind of like why it's like, well, I can't like even if I think the show is derivative or even if I think there's a lot of things borrowed or being paid homage to like, I guess it doesn't really matter because I'm invested in each and every character and each and every character is going somewhere. Like, I don't really know that anyone, you know, outside of like Steve's friend, Tommy doesn't go somewhere. Right. Right. (laughs) Like they all, they all like eventually end up in another place, which is like, well, it's good storytelling. So it doesn't mean like the original star Wars isn't really that original. Like it's a lot of ideas from other things that were put into the same place. So it's like, you know, it was just one of the first times that, that people had done that. So it's like, right. as long as the story, I think, you know, matters and the characters are like going somewhere and then the narrative is clear, which it, you know, it's as clear as it, is, it needs to be because there, you know, there is mystery and they don't want to reveal everything to you, right. uh, especially in the first season. But like, as long as it's going somewhere, it's kind of like, well, that's why I can rate the show pretty high, but then still go like, well, I don't know about these things, but I guess it doesn't matter as long as I'm invested Right, right, exactly. And I, and I think um, one of the things that I like about uh, shows that go into good character depth um, is that we get to have a conversation. So I, I believe, so this is the reason we started the podcast too, right? Because um, storytelling is primarily the way that we understand and interpret the world around us. Like that's, that's actually neuroscience tells us that we, the human brain is wired to understand the world through storytelling. And so I think it's great when a story is deep enough that we can go, we can, that we can talk about black lives matter in the context of a, a story, right? Like this is actually a real life thing, but we're talking about it in the context of a story because the story um, elicits a response from us that we go, well, what is true about that? Well, I need to explore that deeper. So I just really like that. I think that's cool. I think it's good writing. I think it's uh, well done. Yeah, definitely. Have you seen, uh, just as, just a little bit of a tangent, have you seen uh, Mr. Robot? No. Uh, I mean, I've seen like bits and parts, but I've not like sat down and like watched it. I had a, I had a friend who was on season two, so I started to watch some of it, and then definitely. I didn't know enough of what was going on, so I thought like, I can't watch this until I know more of what's happening, because it, it seemed so complex. I wasn't <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say this, I'll just say this really quick as a comment. Like, that's a show that is really good and it's really fascinating primarily because it does characters extraordinarily well. Mm -hmm. Um, However, if I wanted to critique it, I would say 
well, the characters are done super well, but and I, and I love the fact that they're focusing on sort of like a um, a subculture, um, mm. but at the same time, the plot is done in a way that on occasion you're going, I don't know if that holds up on a rewatch and I don't know if that holds up as something that would actually happen in real life. So just a comment about this show does both well. Yeah. I would say even like, cause I watched this episode a couple of times, I actually enjoyed it more on the rewatch. Um, one, cause I was able to just pick up more, you know, from like, you know, knowing what's going to happen. But on the rewatch, there's a lot more within the story that's kind of setting you up for, what's going to happen later. Even like the, the sheriff standing at the edge of that cliff, um, then telling that story about the guy who said he jumped off and lived, which was like a, you know, like their own urban legend. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the cliff later where, um, Mike, uh, yeah, Mike jumps off later. So it's kind of like, you know, no one could survive that fall. They say something to that effect. Yeah, and like, yeah. The boys are there. So it's like, they're just kind of like, that's a subtle like setup that's going to pay off in later episodes, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, okay, this is the last question that we have on here. And so we've talked about spirituality. We've talked about human nature, uh, which kind of leads us into our relationship portion of the show. And, um, and in this portion, you know, the boys are, at, are interacting with Eleven for the first time. And there's this battle that we've talked about between empathy, caring, caring for Eleven and trying to understand where she's coming from. Discovery, which means kind of trying to understand her a little bit more and understand what her powers are and being enthralled by that. And even some self-protection, right? And I think all three boys, like we've talked about before, kind of uh, embody those different reactions that we could have. Um, so at the same time, they're trying to understand 11 and simultaneously trying to defend themselves against her potentially. And Mike is empathetic. Dustin's trying to figure her out. Lucas is is suspicious. Um, and then, uh, Jonathan visits the school to hang up some missing signs on the bulletin board. And even in that context, um, we actually see Nancy is empathetic and approaches Jonathan, but her friends sort of are just making fun of him. They remain back and they stay, they remain suspicious and even express some fear. Um, so as we interpret these kind of behaviors and we look at this from a, from a, um, our worldview and what we do in, in real life, what are some of the factors that cause the characters in the show to assume the worst in people or the best in them? And then how do some of those, uh, those same factors or characteristics, how do we, how do we do the same thing in real life? Uh, yeah, man, these are, these are great questions. <laughs> um, I mean, in the show, there's like, um, in terms of assuming the worst, um, there's like a, you know, and this is like another sort of thing from like a lot of, um, like eighties movies and, and TV shows is like that, like adults and authority can't be trusted. Right. Mm, yeah. Like they're definitely, uh, I mean, and also like, just like a side note, but like dads are apparently the worst. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, uh, the buyer's dad, you know, deadbeat, um, you don't even see Mike's dad. Like he's sitting at the table and they never show you the guy's face. Yeah. Um, which is just interesting. Um, and even when they go to like a picture of him, he's like out of focus or something. <laughs> um, 
So, like, I don't know, apparently maybe one of the Duffer brothers has something, like, going on with his dad or something. (laughs) You know, as I was processing it, I think, um, so there's sort of two predominant uh, emotional places we can be when we react to something. And and this is probably me reflecting on this a lot because um, I am not... I'm not geared, uh, naturally or even, um, through nurturing through my own experience to be an empathetic person. Um, I'm much more likely to be a very logical, uh, sort of, um, this is the way things should be type of person. Um, so, uh, I think that the two, the two things that I've processed in my own life, and I think this kind of goes on with the characters as well is that there are basically two emotions that are sort of driving the uh, empathy versus the self-protection. And those things are um, love and fear. So if we have a place, if we're in a place where we feel like we can be loving um, and we can push fear aside, uh, then we have more care for other people, right? So. Mm-hmm. I think it gets easier the better we know them because we're we're able to have more empathy for them. And if we know what their circumstances are, we can get to a place where we are really caring about them. But at the same time, I don't. I think that we, um, if we have fear, and so maybe we had bad experiences. Like I think uh, you said it really well. Like Eleven had all these terrible experiences with authority, and so she's terrified of authority, which is almost why. I mean, I hadn't thought of this until you said it. So this is fantastic. But um, when she deals with the boys. She's never really, it doesn't seem like she's ever really been around other kids before. And so it's kind of like, well, they're like me, you know, I'm empathetic to them because they're like me. So I don't need to fear them. I can actually maybe trust them and love them, but all these other people I need to fear. Um, and I know that's pretty true in my own life because I feel like, um, I feel like for me as a person who just wants things to be the way that they are, um, fear is a, a very big limiting factor into, uh, my ability to be empathetic because I'm afraid that other people will hurt me, whether it's physically or emotionally or whatever it is. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe you can respond to that. Yeah. Um, that's really good. Cause I, like fear, like is like a you know very powerful, like motivator. Um, if I think about it in terms of 11, like, like kind of what you were just saying, like she feels fine around the boys because they, you know, they're probably around the same age. They kind of look like her. Um, she's a little skeptical of them, but like you said, she's probably never seen anyone else that looks like her. I mean, who knows how long she's been in that facility, but we can assume like long enough to where she's like never seen a recliner, you know, right? Uh, or a TV, um, even a 22 inch TV, which is nice, <laughs> apparently that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, with the rabbit ears. Um, so her 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 trust is obviously been she can't trust an adult because they've only probably taken advantage of her at this point um even um uh matthew modine's character which i can't think of his character name but he she refers to him as papa but because of like so many other things that she doesn't know like the word friend or promise but there are a lot of words that she doesn't know so i think even like the word papa to her is probably like the same as like calling you Jay, it's like, well, that's what I call you. I don't like that. Doesn't like Papa doesn't maybe even mean dad to her or like, 
maybe it's not like a very like loving term. She just, that's the one that she calls that. But, you know, maybe at some point she had to uh, trust him um, when she probably learned to call him Papa, which is, you know, at some point he betrayed that trust. So like when she's being ripped away from him, when they have the flashback in the closet, mm-hmm. um, she's, he, she's the only, he's the only one who she knows to call out to. So maybe he's the only one who she really knows, but she knows something like, you know, terrible is about to happen. So I guess in terms of, uh, her character, seeing someone else like her lends her the ability to be able to trust, but, um, you know, anyone that's, you know, adult age is, is definitely not to be trusted. They're bad, you know, like, I mean, she says like all of like what nine words in the episode, um, <laughs> you know, like she knows adults bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Kids may be good at this point. That's a great analysis. I actually, um, one, one of the issues I had with the, the program, um, in general was the, was the fact that she called, uh, I think his name's Dr. Brenner, I want to say. Um, yeah, that sounds right. So I, I, but one of the issues I did have with it was that it, um, is that she, she called him Papa and I didn't, I didn't understand why, but your analysis of that I think is actually fantastic because that's, that's the reason why she would call him Papa. So that's, that's actually super helpful. Um, so that brings us to the end of all my questions. So is there anything else on the, sh- uh, about this episode two of stranger things that you wanted to point out or you wanted to ask that we could both wrestle with? Um, man, I could talk about this episode. I think like probably all day. Uh, <laughs> well, there's, um, there's something in the episode, um, between, um, Jonathan and Will, the flashback, you know, where they're listening to like the class. Yes, and yes, stuff yes, like yes. I thought that, um, it, it's weird because I, there, some of the stuff has kind of come up recently, but there's a question about, um, Will's, uh, sexuality. Oh, interesting. Um, that's sort of out there, you know, maybe like a fan theory or something like that. But, um, one, that scene between him and his brother is really cool. You can tell about, you know, his brother really cares for him, um, which is why he's, you know, plastering the town with posters and stuff like that, trying to find him um, while mom was like waiting for the phone to ring. But, um, you know, when, when Jonathan is talking to Will about uh, going to a baseball game and if he actually likes baseball, yeah, um, he's like, do you even, you know, do you even like it? He's like, no, I just kind of like going with them. And um, I'm going to get the, the line wrong, but it's like something about, you know, you don't even have to like things or he's just trying to get you to like things that seem normal to him or something yeah, like that. Actually, I have, it here. I have it here. You shouldn't like things because people tell you you're supposed to. Right. Um, which is kind of like maybe a stretch to like question like whether Will is, or, you know, his sexuality or something like that. But I didn't know if you had a thought about, about that. Cause it seems like in some way, and this is you just maybe like my own like sort of theory, like, um, like L and Will may be linked in some way or another. Um, you know, um, she like Will's, like L is kind of androgynous looking, right? Like right. people even mistake her for a boy. Right. Um, whereas if Will is also sort of questionable in terms of where he is with sexuality, then L is like a really good character to kind of be like the other side of him. If, if, if that's even possible. Ah, that's interesting. Or, yeah. or even if there's like a parallel because a lot of times people can't tell whether she's a boy or girl or, or kind of where she's at. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I guess because his brother's sort of like making it okay for him to not like, you know, sort of typical boy stuff. I mean, obviously, like in baseball, doesn't you're like change your sexuality in, in our timeline, but back in the 80s you know, maybe something like that would have been questioned as far as to like where you were at. Is that? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that fan theory. And I think, um, so the interesting thing, so this is, okay. So this I'll address the question from two separate issues. I think from one side of the question, this is what's interesting when you as a writer or a, or in this case, a filmmaker too, um, when you, pretty much put the standard issue derivative work out there. Um, I think what you have in the fan community these days is that you have the ability for fan theories to spread and spread quickly, mm-hmm. which means that um, when you don't essentially show diversity, um, you have people who crave for more diversity because they want to see themselves in their, in the works and they want to see their friends and their family, mm-hmm. um, in the works. And so I think you see a lot of people jumping into fan theories where you hear a lot of fan theories where it's like, Oh, well maybe this person is homosexual or maybe this person is, um, you know, you know, pick your, pick your, pick your thing, right. Whether it's gender diversity or ethnic diversity or mm-hmm. uh, sexual diversity or what have you. And, um, and so I think uh, it's, it's, it's a comment to filmmakers and to writers to uh, increase the diversity in, in what you write, you know, like um, yeah. showcase, showcase different things because then, then we as fans are not left going, oh, I got to fill in spaces so that I can, you know, try and like this better or understand this world better or mm-hmm. interpret the world around me better. So I'll say that from the filmmaker side and from the writer side. Um, I also think that this is one of those things that I think is really true. So I'm glad you brought it up because um, I had it in my notes, but I just sort of skimmed over it. Um, I think it's really true to say you shouldn't like things because people tell you you're supposed to like them. Um, and I think it shows a couple things. I think it shows a disconnect between... Um, relationships when we put our intentions for someone onto someone else. And so obviously like there's a pretty big disconnect between Will and his father um, because his father wants him to be um, probably like the father was growing up. I like baseball and I like sports and I I like doing these things. So you, you have to like this as well. When we already know Will, um, we already know that he likes playing Dungeons and Dragons, you know, like he, he doesn't. He does, he's not necessarily a sports kid. That's not his thing. And so, right. rather than his father trying to understand him, um, his father just tries to make him like him. Right. Um, and I think that that's a good truth for our world. Is that like when we try and do those things, um, it really takes uh, it takes away from people's individuality. Um, and I do, and granted, now I say that I do believe that in, we should have. Um, you know, standard ways of behaving in culture and we should have societal norms. And I'm not saying we should throw those out the window, but I think we need to make space for also understanding individuals and where individuals are coming from. Um, and we should try and we should always try and have deeper discussions so that the two things can be understood. Obviously, if we have a societal norm, we talked a lot about the Black Lives Matter campaign. If we have a societal norm that says that it is okay 
for police to act more brutal to African Americans than white people, then that is an awful societal societal norm that needs right. to change. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think that we need to understand the individuals, right? So, like, what what's going on with different individuals, and how do they interpret the world, and and can we get their perspective? Because I think we'll actually learn more for from it in the long term. So that's that's my take. But yeah, have you gotten any like sort of uh, in terms of like L, L and Will like parallel, or is that something you thought about before? Uh, you know what? I had an indication that that might be true just based a little bit off of the way that they I don't is there ever a scene where Will and Eleven are both in the same place whether it's the upside down or the real world I don't think so at least not that I'm aware of yeah not that I'm aware of either so I think it's a really good fan theory uh, and I think that there's something to it and I think that we'll probably see that explored more so in season two because it's almost like it's almost like um it's almost like 11 is a conduit into um into the upside down but then the upside down uses 11 as a conduit to get to turn itself into the real world right and and then that's like like will is the conduit on one side and 11 is the conduit on the other side and they're, they're trying to like figure out who has power and who who gets who's where if you will yeah well because there's also like you know things like the fact that l is generally sort of muted in terms of her voice and has a hard time communicating with people and then also will is like obviously trying to communicate with his mother but he's not really quite able to so like i don't know i saw some of that as being like yeah maybe they could be connected in some way obviously that's like to find out in like season two um but also like L's representation of uh, of Will when she does the sort of like upside down board game. Oh yeah, she uses the wizard. You know, like uh, she's just like uh, it's, it's probably like Gandalf or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting because like that would mean that like Will is somehow like the wise sage, like an Obi Wan Kenobi or like Gandalf, uh, um, and like someone who can access both worlds in some way. Uh, interesting. Yeah, you know I mean, like Obi Wan crosses over and then helps Luke out later, and Gandalf crosses over and then helps Frodo later, or something like that. I thought, well, this show is so meticulous. There's no way that that's not somehow connected. That's a great point. I think that's cool. Yeah, I like. I hope that they get in some some more of that kind of stuff because my my biggest fear for this show is that um, season two will get too complex. Right. Um, in a way that they won't be able to handle it, and I, I'm so I'm really hoping that that doesn't happen. Yeah, you mean like Lost or something like exactly, that? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope not, but I think like so far as ter- in terms of like where they've gone, like they can certainly expand it more and more. And obviously, uh, you know, I guess spoilers, but like you know, you saw like at the end, like something come out of like Will's mouth, and right, you know, right. So it's kind of like, uh, which again, like is in terms of like referencing other things I'm like oh it's kind of like Alien but um, <laughs> right but like it won't bother me if it works so exactly exactly alright I'll go ahead and wrap up this episode right there what do you think I'd love to hear your response to this podcast 
Please write us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com to let us know what you think. Another way to do that is to review this podcast on iTunes. I'd love to have a review from you, even just a short one. And don't forget to subscribe. We have some really cool upcoming topics like our Stranger Things series, like you heard today. We're going to keep doing that. We have a Luke Cage series that we're doing. Um, We're also going to be talking about Captain America's Civil War and the controversial Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition. So please subscribe. We'd love to have you back. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and please consider donating to the Reclamation Society. It helps us make this podcast and it helps us develop some of the stories and our own original works and blogs that we post. You can do that at www.reclamationsociety.org slash give. Thank you for listening. Until next time, question everything in the stories you read, watch, and listen to, and seek the truth.